I'd like to speak tonight on a subject which is very relevant to our times. Father Sarah from Rose writes, As the ecumenical cancer eats more and more away at the remaining sound organs of the Orthodox churches today, an increasing sympathy is being shown by the most sensitive members of the official Orthodox jurisdictions for the cause and the representatives of the anti-ecumenist, anti-reformist churches of Russia, Greece, and the diaspora. Some, seeing the official jurisdictions as now irrevocably set on a course of anti-Orthodoxy, are abandoning them as sinking ships and joining the ranks of the true Orthodox Christians. Others, still hoping for the restoration of an Orthodox course in world Orthodoxy, think it enough for now to express sympathy for the true Orthodox Christians or to protest boldly against the reformist mentality in the official jurisdictions. The Ten Years of Anti-Ecumenist Epistles of Metropolitan Philaret, Chief Hierarch of the Russian Church Outside of Russia, have struck a responsive chord within a number of the Orthodox churches, even if the official response to them has been largely silence or hostility. Today, more than at any other time in the 50-year struggle to preserve the Orthodox tradition in an age of apostasy, the voice of true and uncompromising Orthodoxy could be heard throughout the world and have a profound effect on the future course of the Orthodox churches. Probably, indeed, it is already too late to prevent the renovationist Eighth Ecumenical Council and the ecumenical union which lies beyond it. But perhaps, one or more of the local churches may yet be persuaded to step back from this ruinous path which will lead to the final liquidation, as Orthodox, of those jurisdictions that follow it to the end. And in any case, individuals and whole communities can certainly be saved from this path, not to mention those of the heterodox, who may still find their way into the saving enclosure of the true Church of Christ. It is of critical importance, therefore, that this voice be actually one of true, that is, patristic orthodoxy. Unfortunately, it sometimes happens, especially in the heat of controversy, that basically sound orthodox positions are exaggerated on one side and misunderstood on the other, and thus an entirely misleading impression is created in some minds that the cause of true orthodoxy today is a kind of extremism, a sort of right-wing reaction to the prevailing left-wing course now being followed by the leaders of the official Orthodox churches. Such a political view of the struggle for true Orthodoxy today is entirely false. This struggle, on the contrary, has taken the form, among its best representatives today, whether in Russia, Greece, or the diaspora, of a return to the patristic path of moderation, a mean between extremes. This is what the Holy Fathers call the Royal Path. The teaching of this Royal Path is set forth, for example, in the 10th of St. Abba Dorothea's Spiritual Instructions, 
where he quotes especially the book of Deuteronomy. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, but go by the royal path. Deuteronomy 5.32 and 17.11 And St. Basil the Great, Upright of heart is he whose thought does not turn away either to excess or to lack, but is directed only to the mean of virtue. But perhaps this teaching is most clearly expressed by the great Orthodox father of the 5th century, St. John Cashin, who was faced with a task not unlike our own Orthodox task today. To present the pure teaching of the Eastern fathers to Western peoples who were spiritually immature and did not yet understand the depth and subtlety of the Eastern spiritual doctrine and were therefore inclined to go to extremes, either of laxness or over-strictness, in applying it to life. St. Cassian sets forth the Orthodox doctrine of the royal path in his conferences on sober-mindedness, or discretion. The conference praised by St. John of the Ladder, Step 4, verse 105, for its beautiful and sublime philosophy. With all our strength and with all our effort, we must strive by humility to acquire for ourselves the good gift of sober-mindedness, which can preserve us unharmed by excess from both sides. For, as the fathers say, the extremes from both sides are equally harmful, both excess of fasting and filling the belly, excess of vigil and excessive sleep, and other excesses. Sober-mindedness teaches a man to go on the royal path, avoiding the extremes on both sides. On the right side, it does not allow him to be deceived by excessive abstinence. On the left side, to be drawn into carelessness and relaxation. And the temptation on the right side is even more dangerous than that on the left. Excessive abstinence is more harmful than satiating oneself, because, with the cooperation of repentance, one may go over from the latter to a correct understanding, but from the former one cannot, i.e., because pride over one's virtue stands in the way of the repentant humility that could save one. Conferences 2, chapter 16, 2, and 17. Applying this teaching to our own situation, we may say that the royal path of true orthodoxy today is a mean that lies between the extremes of ecumenism and reformism on the other side, and a zeal not according to knowledge on the other. True orthodoxy does not go in step with the times on the one hand, nor does it make strictness or correctness or canonicity good in themselves an excuse for Pharisaic self-satisfaction, exclusivism, and distrust on the other. This true orthodox moderation is not to be confused with mere lukewarmness or indifference, or with any kind of compromise between political extremes. The spirit of reform is so much in the air today that anyone whose views are molded by the spirit of the times will regard true Orthodox moderation as close to fanaticism, but anyone who looks at the question more deeply and applies the patristic standard will find the royal path to be far from any kind of extremism. 
Perhaps no Orthodox teacher in our days provides such an example of sound and fervent Orthodox moderation as the late Archbishop of Erkey of Jordanville. His numerous articles and sermons breathe the refreshing spirit of true Orthodox zealotry, without any deviation either to the right or to the left, and with emphasis constantly on the spiritual side of true Orthodoxy. See especially his article, Holy Zeal, in the Orthodox Word, May-June, 1975. The increasing realization in recent years of the basic oneness of the cause of true orthodoxy throughout the world, whether in the catacomb church of Russia, the old calendarists of Greece, or the Russian church outside of Russia, has led some to think in terms of a united front of confessing churches to oppose the ecumenical movement which has taken possession of official orthodoxy. However, Under present conditions, this will hardly come to pass. And in any case, this is a political view of the situation which sees the significance of the mission of true orthodoxy in too external a matter. The full dimensions of the true orthodox protest against ecumenical orthodoxy, against the neutralized, lukewarm orthodoxy of the apostasy, have yet to be revealed above all in Russia. But it cannot be that the witness of so many martyrs and confessors and champions of true orthodoxy in the 20th century will have been in vain. May God preserve his zealots in the royal path of true orthodoxy, faithful to him and to his holy church until the end of the age.